How was the golf outing, Leon? We never got an update. It was phenomenal. I don't think the weather could have been any better. And uh, the courses chewed me up and spit me out and some really good fishing. Uh, yes, they do. So, some of which may make it into the ranch this evening. Oh, how exciting. Well, then let's not <laughs> waste any time. Welcome to the Bottle of Brown podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios are the Baron of Bourbon, the Regent of Rage, the Oligarch of Orange County. Actually, we're going to drop that one, right? Because we're not doing oligarchs anymore. <laughs> the, wow, we need the refugee from Michigan, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday. Happy we're Thursday, motherfucker. Also joining me in the studios is the Pharaoh of Finance, the Sultan of Sport, the Khan of Contra Costa County. Mr. Jones, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes! Gentlemen, gentlemen, good to see you. Uh, nice brown Thursday. Doggies. Happy Thursday. Week went by fast. Super did fast. It? Fast week oh, for yeah. you? Couldn't believe it was already Thursday. That's, That's a good, good thing, though. Best kind of weeks go by fast. Yeah. Then you want the weekends to drag out. Which is good, because I got something to talk about during our parenting segment that speaks to that. It's a three-day weekend. It's fantastic. It is a three-day weekend, for sure. What? For who? For anyone that celebrates uh, Indigenous people or Columbus Day, depending on how you look yeah, at it. Yeah, dog. Man discovered the, the new first world. first station. Not, 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 a, not in my work. Not, not I gotta, not gotta, not gotta, not gotta go to school. <laughs> One of my favorite holidays. Who's like, go play golf? Is that actually a bank holiday? Yeah, believe it or not. Get out of here. I don't think I yeah. ever had that day off. Well, just so we don't get too much on a tangent, there's a trade-off. There's a trade-off. Like, I always have to work the Friday after Thanksgiving, and almost everybody has that day off. So, you know, yeah. you just look at it. For but what percentage of bank people use their floating holiday or PTO holiday um, or something for that? Like, 99%. Well, this year, believe me, it's probably 90%, and it's going to suck because that's the day uh, U.S. plays England. Another topic, another day. Well, if you have any friends that work for REI, they won't be working that day either. Because I saw that REI just said Black Friday, all stores are closed, which I thought was an interesting choice. Strategery. Good for them. They Good for them, I say. for the, the trampling? Yeah, no trampling. No, mm -hmm. uh, no trampling, no, uh, no people fighting over a cheap TV, no, uh, none of that craziness. Uh, what do we got for Brown tonight, gentlemen? Well, I'll go first. Uh, I am doing a... It's called Whiskey War, and they make this one in uh, my old hometown, Grandview Heights, out in Columbus, Ohio. So it's a uh, it's a barrel proof, and uh, it's about a hundred. It's about one hundred and fifteen proof. So I'm pretty sure the rant will be nice and saucy tonight. Yeah, that's quite a thing. By the time I get there. Uh, it's it's a good one as far as you know, like a local one. Since I was just out there, so from me. Ohio, yes, very cool. Columbus, Jay, what about you? I got some a little special. Uh, I got the Elijah Craig Toasted Barrel, uh, ninety four proof. Uh, kind of a newer one, I think. I haven't really seen it very much, but uh, I picked up a bottle and I absolutely love it. And wish I could find a second, third, and fourth. Really I think good. you yeah. shared a picture of that with us. Very yummy. Speaking of toast, I have the Basil Hayden Toast. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, artfully aged. I haven't tried that one yet. Uh, it smells good. Comes in at 40% alcohol by volume from Claremont, Frankfurt. And I haven't touched it yet because I was waiting for you guys. So here we go. Shit, that's almost a duels. It's <laughs> barely bourbon at all. Mm. Might as well call it 3-2. Got a good hug. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Not much of a finish. It is a it is a milder one, but it is thick like syrup. Like you can see this thing. This is like Vicks. So for such a light uh, for such a light junior whiskey, it's got uh, it's got some nice legs to it. 
it uh, does it taste toasty in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, specially crafted new toast charred oak barrels impart a unique flavor to this Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, revealing layered notes of toasted wood and sweet caramel. Always with the subtle complexity for which Basil Hayden is known and loved. 80 proof. Basil Hayden is known for being overpriced. It's not bad. Preach, brother. Just, the sticker said 80 bucks not. and I got it half off. Oh, that's that's a good deal. That's what it should be. That's what that's what it should be. Yeah, I mean, this is just fancy Jim Beam, right? Yeah, I think I'm sorry, excuse me. This is from the James B. Beam Distillery. Hey. That's the one that used Mila Kunis, right? And the uh, ass. So I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We like her. All right. Now that we talked about Brown, let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the Dark of the Brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Says the finish is sweet caramel, and I'm picking that up. So it's, maybe it's like a dessert bourbon. Hmm. Anyway, tonight's talk about Brown comes to us from our friends over at the Whiskey Advocate, future advertisers for the show. Tonight, we're going to talk about how to pair whiskey and snack cakes. I've, I've been waiting for this segment my whole life. Buckle up, baby. Here we go. Ooh. The article begins, as rational human beings, we are all aware that some things we eat and drink are better for us than others. A glass of water is superior to a sugary cola after exercise, for instance, and an apple is nutritionally more sound than a cream-filled Twinkie or Swiss roll. So why do we so often reach for the less beneficial option? The answer, of course, is indulgence, my friends. That is why the snack cake endures as an American favorite, even many decades after America's fitness obsession first took hold. After fully exploring the category by wandering through the snack food aisles of various grocery stores, I settled on five principal snack cake categories. Cream-filled vanilla cakes, cream-filled chocolate cakes, fruit pies, oversized cookie sandwiches, and various forms of glazed or frosted dough from packaged donuts to honey buns. Then I got to work. <laughs> I think he's missing something. He's missing some categories that I don't think are going to make it in there, but we'll see. Well, so we've got the ubiquitous Twinkie. We've mm -hmm. got the Swiss roll. We're going to get the little Debbie in there. So you got a, you got a pretty good uh, sampling here. I don't see, although I guess ding dongs would be cream filled chocolate, yeah, right? Yeah, I think that's what that is. Got it. Where's, got it. Where's Nutty, Nutty Buddies fall on this one? Oh, Nutty Buddies. Yeah. Mm. Nutter, Nutter Butters? No, Nutter Butters was a cookie. Is it? It's a wafer Nutter. with peanut butter and chocolate. It's a wafer. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll yeah. allow it. I mean, is that a cookie category? We'll see. We'll see. It's not, let's not leave that out, though. Quickly apparent is the satisfying symmetry of the American snack cake partnering perfectly with the iconic American spirit, bourbon. Get this when person a Nobel Prize. When pairing Twinkies and bourbon, however, target a whiskey with ample oak and vanilla richness and not too high a proof since excess alcohol strength will overwhelm the cake and cream combination. Good to know. Uh -huh. After trying several whiskey styles with the chocolate and cream-filled Little Debbie Swiss rolls, I concluded that Scotch single malt is the way to go, either with abundant richness for a complementary pairing or impressive peatiness to develop a more contrasting relationship. I eventually so settled on the peat. with the Scotch. Interesting. The peat goes with the chocolate. Mm -hmm. you come, know, when I did my tasting at Angel's Envy, they give you a piece of chocolate. And then yeah. when I had Bullet, they give you a piece of chocolate. So I, I don't. Okay. I, I enjoy chocolate with, with some whiskey. It's, it's an odd pairing, but it works. Uh, it definitely works. When it came to the Little Debbie Honey Bun which various savants suggest is superior to the hostess version, on a whim, I tried Canadian Club. 
and found the combination to be quite superb. Now, this is Canadian Club Chronicle's 42-year-old, which is not your average blended Canadian hooch. Uh, the bun's sweet, cake-like character drew forward every last bit of spice in the spirit, creating a decadent cinnamon bun experience that can be replicated with most moderately rye-forward Canadian whiskeys. So, cinnamon and rye, boys. Cinnamon and rye. Okay. Where handheld, or as Drake's Cakes puts it, personal fruit pies are concerned, the issue is more the pastry and glaze than the fruit filling, since the ratio of the former to the latter is much higher than in a regular fruit pie. I found that contrasting the sweet dough with something bold and spicy, like a straight rye, serves best. Settle it in a wild turkey. Pour it over a couple cubes of ice. So if you're going to get the the classic fruit pie one, which... I remember those when we were kids. I was always partial to the lemon. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those hostess pies? Yep. McDonald's had them. McDonald's had them too, style, yeah. 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 Uh, I never lastly, liked them. While there might be a touch of romanticism involved in the idea that a whiskey from Ireland, a country so associated with oatmeal, would pair well with two oatmeal cookies sandwiched around cream, there is definitely a flavor connection between the Little Debbie oatmeal cream pie and a sweet, rich, lemony whiskey. Like Hinch five year old double wood. Never heard of Hinch. You guys heard of Hinch? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The Little Debbie Oatmeal Cream Pie, for those of you at home, was the snack featured in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, I think it was Highly like. addictive. Highly addictive. Totes. All right. So we're going to double down here. Ready? Lightning round. Little okay. Debbie Swiss Roll and Ardbeg Wee Beastie. Interesting. Yay or nay? Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, I, like I love the Swiss roll, but I don't know. About the you don't like the Swiss roll, Jones? No, I, I like the Swiss roll. I don't know about, I don't know about the combo. Yeah. I guess it's that, isn't it the same kind of like peaty, kind of like heavy peat that goes with the chocolate? Is that kind of the idea here? Simple partnership that mixes smoke and chocolate to delightful yeah. effect with a cream addition that complements both. I guess, yeah, if you have the heavy peat and you're kind of going through that chocolate, it like cleans out the palate. It's worth a shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, All right, next up, Little Debbie Honey Bun and Canadian Club Reserve. Survey says... Sweet, sweet, and sweet. Yeah, that's just... I feel, I feel like I get a cavity just having that. I mean, that's like that syrup rye stuff. Like, mm. The bun I mean, coaxes I, out the spice of the spirit while the sweet oakiness of the whiskey adds depth to the flavor of the bun. I would... I would uh, I would move away from that and have like a maple candy for the Canadian Club. Ooh, that's what that's I a would nice do. One. Well done, Leon. Toast to you. Yeah. All right, final one: Hostess Twinkie and Four Roses. Pour it over a nice bowl. <laughs> Survey says. I mean, 1, the Twinkie had to thousand, make an appearance. Yeah, one thousand percent. That sounds awesome. But here's what's missing, and I think this was a huge addition that doesn't get enough love out there. The lemon hostess cupcakes are yes. probably one of the best things on the shelf, and yes. it needs to make an appearance. So if you were going to pair that with something, what would it be? So we're talking about a little bit of tartness to it, right? Mm-hmm. You probably don't want to pair spicy with that because the tart has enough kick by itself. I would probably want to do something a little bit smoother. Mm. You know, I'm thinking like Woodford Double Oaked. That's a that could smooth. Go. Yeah. I can go with that. I can go with that. Yeah, that'd be good. All right. Uh, with the McCallan. ice taking the edge off of the spicy spirit, the vanilla is allowed to emerge and enhance the flavor of the snack cake. So, if you got a Twinkie, get yourself some Four Roses. Well, you know what I recommend here for all the Bobs is for our Thanksgiving episode. Mm-hmm. You know, we have we have to come correct. We got to come <laughs> with some serious pairing options. Turkey whiskey. So we, yeah, the, yeah. The uh, the stuffing and uh, the buffalo trace. Um, the turkey and the buffalo trace. Wait a minute. I think I'm just going to drink buffalo trace with everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, we should do we should do some kind of pairing. That'd be fun. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, we should we should have like a list of ten items, and then 
we got to find the best pair that we got in the house with it. Oh, you know? I like that. Good challenge. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Brown. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Nice business news comes to us from Sky News, British magazine, uh, UK.news. I think uh, we pulled this one via Yahoo, but it's a Sky News article. Scientists propose controversial plan to refreeze North and South Poles by spraying sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere, otherwise referred to as geoengineering. The article begins, scientists have outlined a controversial plan to refreeze the North and South Poles and dial down the global thermostat. They say high-flying jets could spray microscopic aerosol particles into the atmosphere to reflect sunlight and cool the melting ice caps. Around 175,000 flights a year would be needed, releasing millions of tons of carbon dioxide. But a former UK chief scientist backed the plans, telling Sky News that polar warming is now critical and refreezing the ice could hold back the rise in global sea levels. New study was led by Wake Smith from Yale University in the United States. He warned the plan would treat an important symptom of climate change, not the cause. It's aspirin, not penicillin. It's not a substitute for decarbonization, unquote. Under the plan, a fleet of 125 military air-to-air refueling tankers would release a cloud of microscopic sulfur dioxide particles at an altitude of 43,000 feet and latitude of 60 degrees in both hemispheres, roughly equivalent to the Shetland Islands in the north and the Falkland Islands in the south. Particles would slowly drift towards the poles on high-altitude winds, slightly shading the Earth's surface beneath. Just over 13 million tons of particles released in the spring and summer would be enough to cool the polar regions by 2 degrees centigrade with more moderate cooling at mid-altitudes, according to the research published in the scientific journal Environmental Research Communications. The plan is controversial, not least because the large number of flights, equivalent to more than two days of global air traffic in 2021, would release greenhouse gases into the upper atmosphere where they are more damaging. Other scientists also caution about unleashing solar shading because it could have unintended consequences, such as reducing crop yields. Plan to release particles from a balloon in northwest Sweden last year was abandoned after protests from environmentalists. Large-scale release program would need international agreement. This reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns puts a gigantic uh, circular block over the town to keep it dark so he can just keep the power going all the time. That's basically what this sounds like. It's a big, a big umbrella. Listen, we just hit a moving target hundreds of thousands of miles away, (laughs) going hundreds of thousands of miles an hour. We haven't cured cancer yet, but we can hit that pin, like the tip of a pin going thousands of miles an hour and hit it. I think we could figure this one out. Uh, controversial the dark mission? Yeah, that was a cool mission. It was a cool mission. I think we, I think we were all on board with that. Um, quick controversial question. Do you think we have the ability to slow or eliminate global warming? Um... This is one of those wait and see ones. Um, I'm not necessarily on either side as to what's causing it. I just know that it exists. It's definitely true that water temperature is changing, but you can see that where coral reefs are deteriorating in one area, they're popping up in others. There have been, I saw something on the National Organization for Atmospheric and NOAA. You guys know what NOAA is, right? It's the land-based version of NASA. They uh-huh. said something along the lines of hurricanes aren't necessarily getting stronger. It's just that we're finding ways to measure them better. So if we could apply today's measurement methods against old hurricanes, we'd notice that they're not getting stronger and there's actually less of them. Um, so I think this remains within the realm of, sad to say, controversy. 
Um, what's interesting in this article is researchers argue only 1% of the human population lives in the target deployment zone. If the risk benefit equation were to pay off anywhere, it'd be at the poles. Any intentional turning of the global thermostat would be of common interest to all of humanity. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not completely convinced of global warming, but I'm certainly not the person that says, you know, fuck it, leave the pipes going. So I don't, I don't know where I come down on this one. Jay, what about you? I think it, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, it's a loaded question in some ways. Cause it's like, you want to believe one thing because of this, but then you look at what the data is on another to uh, Danny's point. Um, I don't know. I, I, I look at this article and go cause and effect. Like my opinion would say that, so maybe you do this, but maybe you haven't thought about an effect here that something blows it off of there. And now all of a sudden you have um, another problem down the road where this, the solution is not really worth, you know, the cure that they're trying to go after. So that's just my thought. You can't, I think this is also kind of like a pipe dream. I don't really understand that as much. It seems kind of bad to basically release a bunch of stuff into the atmosphere and say, this will fix our problem when it's not the real route. If you really get down to it. Well, I think that's what it's calling out to is that this is a, this is a bandaid. It's not in any way, shape or form a cure. And I think when I think about it and I'm, I'm definitely not a climate change denier. I think it's absolutely happened. I do think it'd be absolutely accelerated it by, being human and dirty and filthy. I, I, I believe all those. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I, that's, we're in agreement there. But I think, um, you know, to, to assume in some level of arrogance that we have the power to stop it or slow it is, is without, you know, a little bit more effort than, you know, driving less or driving electric cars. Or, you know, I, I don't know that that's going to do the job. I think, you know, I, you know what, I, I was thinking about it when I was up on this trip and I'm seeing these giant, massive lakes, you know, I was up there in Lake Michigan, uh, which was carved out by glaciers, which obviously existed a long time ago, uh, without cars and without carbon emissions. And yet still the globe, the globe was warming and, uh, you know, and melted down those ice caps. So I think, uh, I think we are definitely, uh, experiencing a climate change i i applaud the effort of thwarting it and trying to do it something else other than telling everyone not not to do this and not to do that i think that's a better methodology it doesn't mean abandon uh stop being filthy and destroying the planet uh, you know we still need water to drink and air to breathe and everything else that goes along with uh all the right things and going to the green movement but as far as you know, turning turning down the air conditioner on this planet, I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, the efforts that we're doing for green energy and green everything is is going to be enough to turn down the thermometer. We're, we're going to have to do something else. Maybe not this insane plan, but you know, hey, just like the Dart mission, I, I'm sure Elon Musk or somebody can figure out a giant foil blocker satellite up there to protect the poles from sunlight or something. I don't know. Yeah. There's all kinds of things that can go on. We're we're getting more creative every day. So I like that they're arguing for a technological solution. So if the issue is carbon dioxide, then there are machines in various localities, specifically up in Scandinavia, I can think of that actually pull carbon dioxide out of the air. They do it in Iceland. So if there are yeah. ways to to do that, I mean, I think the the pace of technology is changing fast enough that something will show up. This one seems more like the the cure is worse than the disease. It makes you wonder, like 175,000 flights, how much carbon are you dropping <laughs> in the air? That's, and that that was, I was going to say. Carbon. Yeah, and <laughs> like, you know, their argument is it's 10 billion pounds, because this is a British article, 10 billion pounds a year cost of the program would be far less than carbon capture or other means of mitigating or adapting to climate change. I mean, okay, that's a fairly good argument. Fascinating. Uh, did it say literally it would only equivalent to like two days of flights? Is that what it said? No way. That's impossible. Uh, what did it say? That total uh, 
thousand flights. It's the equivalent of two days of global air traffic. That's crazy. That, yeah, I, many, that many planes to dump 13 million tons of these particles to cool the regions by two degrees centigrade. So what ever, I understand is one degree on at the equator aware? is catastrophic. Yeah. But two degrees at the poles doesn't seem that, I don't know, seem very effective. I don't know, not a, not a climate scientist. Oh, I know some icy bitches that we could send up there that would cool it off too. If any of the Bobs out there are climate scientists and we have studies that can show that this is a good idea, we would absolutely like to hear it because this is just three guys having a drink waxing philosophic about something we have no idea will work or not no clue no, no clue. scientific nope. backing mm-hmm. uh, if, if there was ever a fake news it's us <laughs> i have no idea what i'm talking about we i do know about flying, american but... demographic people all right that was business news let's get to the crank file i could look for something in the crank file crank file Whatever. Tonight's crank file comes to us from the Daily Beast. This one just made me laugh, and I thought, all right, this is this is an Instagram piece of shit article. But apparently, it's very real. It's been very real. In fact, it's so real that this article was originally written in 2018. It's been updated in February of 2022. So the article is from the Daily Beast. So they're a little out there. So like Olympic National Park hikers can now pee free of fear of urine addicted goats. And the, the GIF animation they got going here on the front page is a little freaking wacky. me out. Yeah, it's it freaking me. It's out. creepy. Thanks to a relocation and culling operation, mountain goats that threaten the safety of hikers trying to pee in peace are no longer a concern. So this is real, people. This is absolutely real. This is not fake news. This is not a, an article from the Onion. Although that'd be fun if we actually tried to pull that off one time. This is real deal. The article begins, national parks are known for their beauty, their splendor, their landscapes, and even the chance to spot amazing wildlife up close and personal. But at one national park, coming across wildlife became easy, concerningly easy. You see, Olympic National Park in Washington had a huge problem, mountain goats that were addicted to human urine. Not as crazy as it sounds. In the 1920s, Alaskan hunters introduced mountain goats onto the Olympic Peninsula for recreational purposes. They brought 12 of them. Over time, the population skyrocketed. As of 2010, 90 years later, there were over 700 in the region. While the lack of hunting and predators allowed the population to thrive, the park lacked one ingredient goats need, salt. Typically, this is found in nearby mineral deposits in the high alpine areas they frequent. Instead, with none of that around for miles, the goats decided to get creative, and the urine of hikers who would relieve themselves just yards away from the trail would do just the trick. Do I have Did to drink my own urine? No, but it's sterile, and I like the taste. It didn't take long for things to escalate from there. Soon, goats in the park abandoned their fear of humans and began approaching them, seeking not just urine, but the salt from the sweat on their clothing as well. The goats became increasingly aggressive until in 2010, a goat fatally gored a hiker. But beyond just licking up urine and sweat, data began to show that the goats were having a negative impact on the isolated ecosystem of the Olympic Peninsula, chomping and trampling up endemic plants for decades. The environmental impact statement, EIS, the park put out describes the goats as nuisance that would paw and dig at the soil. The park declared it within its mandate to remove the goats in order to protect the ecosystem of the nationally designated area. Can we pause well, for a second? Let's pause. just not glaze over the fact that somebody was gored to death by a piss-eating goat. I mean, there's no worse way to die, I don't think, right? Like, that's a new winner? Do we have a new winner? Fatally gored. To die? Yep. Fatally gored yep. by a piss-eating goat. Killed it. There lies John, John gets pissed. who was tragically killed by a goring goat because he <laughs> tried to relieve himself behind the singing bush. Authorities found the we corpse being licked. <laughs> that is fucking tragic. That is horrible. That is the horrible way to go. Okay, sorry. I can't glaze over that. Well, there is some retribution for, uh, for the departed. Uh, while culling, otherwise known as lethal removal, was on the table. It wasn't the park's first choice. The debate, which has been raging since 1981, began 
between environmentalists and wildlife management groups is how best to remove the goats finally came to a close. Solution had been reached. The North Cascades is a neighboring national park where mountain goats are a native species, but with a decreasing population. National Park Service realized it could solve two problems at once, remove the goats from one park where they were a nuisance and put them in the park where they were fundamental to the ecosystem. But their way of achieving this, well, that's where things started to get even more unusual. Because mountain goats are naturally evasive and reside in high alpine terrain, capturing them on foot was out of the question. So instead, the park had to implement a helicopter operation in 2018. Goats were first shot with a tranquilizer dart, blindfolded, wrapped in a special sling, covered with horn guards, airlifted, dangling by a rope from a helicopter. Dr. Richard Harris, a retired section manager from the Washington Fish and Wildlife Department, explained that blindfolding animals is pretty routine for work like this. It calms animals down when they can't see what's going on and serves to protect any foreign debris from entering their eyeballs. While Rob Smith, the National Park Conservation Association, acknowledged that it certainly is an unusual site, he insisted that this form of removal was the right thing to do for the park and for the goats. He told the Daily Beast that because these goats have no natural predators in the park, their population can very quickly grow out of control, and their impact in the park can threaten the survival of native species like marmots and Olympic violets. There are nearly 20 unique species that can only be found at Olympic National Park, so moving these goats to more appropriate areas like the North Cascades ultimately benefits and protects the park and aids in restoring goat populations in the Cascades. See, this is where, I'm, you know, we, we went from people that are really thinking things out and trying to do things a little differently, but both of these methods, from spraying chemicals in the air to cool down the poles, to helicopter lifting, blindfolding, blindfolded, piss drinking goats to another location just seems excessive. Like, couldn't you just put buckets of piss at the bottom of the mountain and then have like a gaucho or a cowboy, you know? Uh, no, I mean, just put a salt lick somewhere, right? You can attract them with a salt lick, basically corral them all in there. Oh, okay, cool. Like, draw them all in. Like, why is draw it you have to pull them off oh, the mountain? Yeah, right? With a, with a trank gun and. I, I think it's a little overboard. In my uh, it gets better. So oh, according boy. to the final management plan, after four two-week-long sessions, they were able to remove 381 goats with less flight time than anticipated. However, with still about half of the goats left in the park in the winter of 2020, it was time for phase two. Phase two is shotguns and high-powered rifles. <laughs> Dr. Harris came back and said, this was always part of the plan. We always expected that capturing wouldn't get them all. And so thanks to the goat's own cleverness, conservationists took to the air to snipe them from above. While the culling has been largely successful, the effects of translocating the goats into the Northern Cascades remain to be seen. Data is trickling in that gives hope for optimism. Dr. Harris says that they have seen reproduction from translocated goats. Final results are yet to come. As for their addiction to urine, well, the relocation has solved that because the North Cascades has many more salt licks hikers can pee freely, according to the National Park Service. Well, as long as they're at least 200 feet off the trail. All's well that ends well with the pee-drinking goats of Washington. <laughs> half of them. Another half are bear meat. <laughs> I think goats are just just an amazing adaptive animal. When they're you watch them animal. run up and down the side of mountains and they're like, well, they have special hooves. And I'm like, that thing is, I can't grip with my feet. And that's got a lot more traction, you'd think, than a hoof. But no, those things are amazing. Mm. Only time amazing. will tell. That wraps up the crank file. Let's get to Because Florida. Because As coincidence would have it, this one also comes to us from Sky News. However, it's about Florida. The article begins, Florida man arrested after stealing a crossbow by stuffing it down his trousers. <laughs> the only thing missing from that is, and it went off. <laughs> Darren Durant. Great name. 
46 used a pair of cutting tools to remove the security tag on a Raven Rio crossbow. Suspect has been arrested for allegedly stealing a crossbow by stuffing it down his trousers in Florida. Darren Durant was shown on closed circuit television at the True Value store on 2nd of February. 46-year-old can be seen walking into the shop with a crutch before taking a pair of cutting tools and removing the security tag on the crossbow. He can then be seen shoving the weapon down the front of his trousers before walking out. Amazingly, he made it out of the shop, but was arrested a few days later in the car park of a nearby store. Car park is parking lot for you Americans. An arrest warrant has been issued for Brevard County for Durant, who is currently in custody on related burglary charges. This guy's got problems. Well, you know what Sticky I respect? Fingers. What I respect about the Floridians is he put in some effort here. Yep. He came in with, you know, a costume. He had his, if you watch the COVID video, mask on. he's got his COVID mask on. That's important. Yep. And he's got his, uh, which, which is a red flag in Florida because nobody wears masks. Down, so down that, pants. that should have been Good. it right fix there. Fix your pants. Yep. Fix your pants. There we go. And he's got goiter in his oh, pants. But hey, yeah. Good. Good. Nothing to see here. here. And here in California, they just walk right out the front door. Yeah. They don't even try to put in that kind of effort. Nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> so, Dan Duran. <laughs> can can we just County. ask, like, what was his need to steal a crossbow? Like, I don't know about you. I just think that just seems like kind it's of fucking odd. metal, bro. Like, anyways, <laughs> I can't even go there. Do you bow hunt? I bow hunt. No, I crossbow hunt. <laughs> I, I suppose you could crossbow gators, but uh, maybe, what, what else? What else? Maybe he there? wants to rob from the rich and give to the poor. That's got to be it. That maybe. That's got to oh. be it. Darren, Darren Durant and his merry men. <laughs> the next Robin Hood. <laughs> That's got to be Darren Durant doing dastardly deeds. <laughs> well done, sir. You are Florida gold medal winner of the week. Real quick, everybody, but for those of the Bobs that uh, follow all the links on the show, you can see the gigantic. 25 second video right at the front page. You can watch this guy just slamming a crossbow down his pants. And it's pretty hard to hide it. Gigantic piece of hardware, but he did it and he got caught. I can't think of anything more obvious that you would shove down your pants on a crossbow. But he, he, as you guys can see from the video, he leaned the crutch up against the wall, walked halfway down the aisle, decided that was the place he wanted to, shove it in his pants and then he walked back and got the crutch and kept on walking. So I don't know if there were sight lines, if he was looking for cameras, but, but camera got him. No, you got to watch out for true value. That's right. They know what they're doing. True value store. (laughs) That's because Florida. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's the mileage. This is a a really, really, really wonky one that I'm bringing to the bobs out there. This one comes from the National Library of Medicine, more specifically the National Center for Biotechnology Information as part of the National Institutes of Health. The link that we're going to put on the show notes is actually to the physical scientific paper. I'm just going to read the abstract for you guys and we can talk about it. Many people living in modern society feel like they do not have enough time and are constantly searching for more, but is having limited discretionary time actually detrimental? And can there be downsides of having too much discretionary time? In two large-scale data sets spanning 35,375 Americans and two experiments, we explore the relationship between the amount of discretionary time individuals have and their subjective well-being. We find and internally replicate a negative quadratic relationship between discretionary time and subjective well-being. These results show that whereas having too little time is indeed linked to lower subjective well-being caused by stress, having more time does not continually translate to greater subjective well-being. Having an abundance of discretionary time is sometimes even linked to lower 
subjective well-being because of a lacking sense of productivity. In such cases, the negative effect of having too much discretionary time can be attenuated when people spend this time on productive activities. And uh, I won't bore you guys with the rest of the scientific paper, but the conclusion is somewhere between one and five hours of break time is ideal. If you have less than an hour, you don't feel good. If you have more than five hours, you don't feel good. And the realization that I came to on this was last Sunday, kids were upstairs doing whatever, PlayStation or building blocks or wrestling. Um, wife was in and out of the house, sometimes working in her office. And I got to sit on the couch and watch a football game uninterrupted. And it was blissful. But after about two hours, my legs start shaking. I start looking around for something I should be doing. Why isn't somebody interrupting me? Why am I allowed to have this time? And after about three hours into the game, I couldn't, I couldn't watch the game. I had to get up and do something. Now I'm preaching to the choir with Mr. Jones. Cause that fucker used to get up at 5.00 AM and jump right into super productivity mode. But this is a scientific paper. get up at 5 a.m. <laughs> scientific I mean, paper. I think that uh, it's a little bit about what you're used to, too, as a parent, uh, or, or just your life. You know, something happens once you become a parent where you are always doing something for you and then something. You, know, you realize it right off the bat and it starts with sleep you get it when you can get it right you know you don't get a full night of sleep you get three hours here and two hours here and take what you can get and then and the same thing happens with your free time your house is destroyed you gotta pick up what you gotta pick up you gotta go shopping you gotta do 19 loads of laundry i don't think we've ever done more dishes in our life You're just constantly doing things all the time uh as you know the, the little terror or terrors uh, destroy everything you have so Something triggers, I think, in your brain that says you can't do that anymore. Now, I am not on the side of, I could sit in a bar, I, in a bar with other activity going on and talking shit and everything else and watch games all day long, and it would be wonderful. Uh, there would be this, you know, guilt uh, little <laughs> angel sitting on my shoulder <laughs> knowing that I've abandoned my family for the whole day. And, uh, but at the same time, it's... Uh, and, and I'm in that really sweet spot when you really want to maximize the time with your kid. Because I know I got five years max of this and then she's not going to want anything to do with me. I can sit at a bar all day and no one will care. But not during this time. Uh, but yeah, I do think there's something to that. I do th think there's something to staying active in general is healthy, right? How many times have you heard, you know, you know, person worked 60 years of their life, worked their ass off, they go into retirement, two years later they die. Right. All that kind of stuff happens because if you go, 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 it happens to it happens to me. It seems like every time I'm working really hard and then it's like, OK, vacation's coming and I let my guard down, I get sick. It happens. I don't know what, what's going on. It just so I think there's something healthy about being active all the time. It's good for you. I totally different conversation put a pen in now because it's a debate for another time. But I do also think that there's a huge discrepancy between these times that we're talking about for I'm going to call it white collar positions versus blue collar positions. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the white collar positions have uh, a lot of mental stress and your mind is active all the time. Mind, 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 mind. And I think that's leading to a lot of the stress disorders because I think naturally our bodies want to do things, not just sit in a chair and type and talk on the phone. We, we want to be out doing things and we're built to do things. And I, I you know, on some level, I, I feel like the, le the least stressed people I know are in the blue collar side and the, and the people that are most stressed are on the white collar side. to destroy their body. Yeah. Uh, you know, we drink 45 gallons of caffeine and, you know, constantly stress over everything and wake up and answer emails all the time and you can't sit and enjoy a game without answering emails. It's just a different it's a different uh, mindset altogether. But 
that might be contributing to the fact that you couldn't enjoy the game for three hours at a time because, you know, you talk to somebody that's been swinging a hammer all day, you better believe they can sit there with a beer and watch a game for four or five hours and not, not, not think about it a second. Because they so, earned it. Yeah. Jay? Yeah. And so did you. But it's just different. I mean, I've always lived by the fact is where human nature is routine. And when we all of a sudden become out of our routine, I think we sometimes feel uncomfortable. Um, and you, you brought it up. Like, I can't, it, it, I don't, for all the Bobs out there, I don't sleep with an alarm clock. Most people do. I don't need one. Tell me what you time you want to wake up. No, no, no. That doesn't even matter to me either. My wife takes care of the child at night. Like, I, I got to work. But if you tell me what time to wake up, I'll wake up 545, 515, 530, 6, 6 o'clock. Doesn't matter. I don't need a clock. It can internally happen. But I just bring it up because it's, that's just how I am. That's my internal like understanding about my day and what I have. And maybe it's the stress that I know that what happens in the next day coming up. And so I think the idea where all of a sudden you're out of your routine can create some sense of anxiety because we've been geared, I guess, so much in, in the sense of parents now, as well as, you know, parents of young children. And this will all fade away. And this is just a phase right now as we're all in and it will leave us soon as uh, Leanne was alluding to. But it's interesting when you see the concept of, can you finally relax and what is relaxation and what, 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 what medium does it come from? Um, sometimes it's checking Instagram. 10 minutes, that's your relaxed point. Or is it a balance that you're trying to basically achieve in your day? And I think we all have them. Um, they are different for everybody. They are the, the, the minutes when you can actually just turn off for a second and then turn back on again. Um, but maybe sitting for three hours is just too long. That's the answer. And it's not, and it's not to say that's the answer for today, but it won't be the answer in five years from now where it's like, Oh, I mean, look what happens when you're retired you got to fill it with something. So it's kind of a little different, different ways to think. I think we're just in that phase right now of we constantly cannot get ahead because the kids are going to wake up. They're going to make another mess. We're going to have to do more dishes and it's going to be repeat all over again. So we're just kind of grinding through it. And that's the joy of it. I think personally, I think the joy of it is what, what you don't realize is what you're getting out of it is while we are so busy and so exhausted, we're also in a, such a cool, like crucial point of time with our, around them being influenced and, you know, supporting. And it's just fun. Uh, if you want to call it fun, it is for me. I like it. Editor's note, we jumped on air a little late tonight because one, I was late starting the show because I was helping to pick up blocks and corral children to get into bed. Leon's going to get a visit from the Tooth Fairy in the near future. And uh -huh. uh, Mr. Jones had to give a little one a bath. So we're doing our job, people. Yeah, you got it. And, and even sneaking away for this hour, hour and a half is is tough. And we haven't been able to do it on a regular <laughs> basis because guess well, we what? Did it tonight. life gets in the way. We found a way. Life gets in the way. Exactly. Life, uh, uh, life finds a way. <laughs> yeah, that's how it starts. Ooh, and then uh, and then the running and then the screaming. Uh, the letter to my friend. <laughs> All right, that is our parenting segment. Leon, are you? Yeah. Are you ready? You know I am. It's yeah, time for Leon Lowe's. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. You know, I've said many times before, and I. I think I'll just circle back to this theme over and over and over and over with multiple examples. It hopes that maybe one of the Bobs that's in the customer service industry will realize they're in the customer service industry uh, and, and, and actually service customers, be nice to them. I just got back from an epic dude's vacation. I, I wouldn't have gone on this for a very long time. It was, you know, Good buddies going up to uh, not the UP, but definitely northern Michigan, uh, right on the lake. I'm a, 
I love to golf. I'm terrible at it, but I love to golf. Uh, and um, I love to fish. And so this was a all-you-can-fish, all-you-can-golf kind of trip. And uh, this is the second time I've chartered a boat in Michigan. And I've been on many charters before. And it seems to me that every time I get one of these situations, and charters aren't cheap. It's 200 bucks a head for six people to go out on a, on a boat for six hours, right? You are going out there and you're hoping to have a good time, an epic time, and something you're never going to forget. And every time I run into these motherfuckers, <laughs> it's like they hate their life so fucking much. Like, you fish for a living, motherfucker. Like, the first thing he said, and this reminded Danny, of your your epic bachelor party, uh, comes down. You know, it's five in the morning, six in the morning. When you know it's dark, we're getting ready to board the boat. First thing, he doesn't even introduce, introduce himself. We're standing by the boat. We're excited, right? We're excited. We've been looking forward to this. We're paying a fortune, but we're going to go out. We're going to go try to find some of these, you know, monster salmon, monster trout that are out there. And this master of the lake is going to show us how to do it. And uh, First thing he says when he walks up is, you guys aren't a fucking bachelor party, are you? <laughs> nope, not a bachelor party. Just out here having a good time. God damn, I had another bachelor. I hate, I will never do it again. Fucking bachelor parties. Like, and then he did, he did that's, that's his introduction. That's, hello. I'm excited to have a good time today. Hi, I'm your uh, captain today. Yeah. Uh, get on the boat. And uh, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to share anything. doesn't. I've never fished. I'm a saltwater guy, right? I know how to saltwater fish for most types of fish. You know, there's trolling, there's fly lining, you're, you're dropping jigs, you're yo-yoing, there's, you know, live bait, there's lures, all these different things. All of them have different methodologies for based on the type of fish you're going for. I know nothing about salmon or trout. I know nothing about Lake Michigan. Um, and when we're asking, you know, how, how, to, how does it work, you know, like, how do we do this? And he was just not saying anything. And then he goes, which one of you is the one that's going to ask all the fucking questions? I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's fucking brick. Uh, he, he was all sensitive that we were going to try to steal his fishing secrets and go start our own charter. We're like, bro, I ain't living up here. I never, never will. All we're out here to do is pay you a bunch of money to teach us how to, or, you know, catch us some fish and, you know, have a good time, which you've, you've already kind of found a way to not make us have a good time. But it's uh, the second time that's happened to me. The first time it happened to me, uh, again, it was in Michigan, but this was about two hours south of where we were. Same thing, going out for Sam. So excited. Damn, there broke my bank to go out. This guy pulls up his boat. We were waiting there. He said, you have to be there, you know, five o'clock in the morning. We were there at five. Pulls up some boat. We don't, we never met the guys. Pulls up 530. It says, uh, you know, he's pull, dropping the boat away. He's like, are you guys coming or not? We're like, oh, well, I guess you're our guy. I just thought you were a fisherman dropping a boat in the water, right? Uh, and weekend, we paid a fortune. And we laughed and said, this guy, it would be so funny if he just drives across the river, which is like 30 yards, and drops anchor and says, that's where we're going to fish. I'm not fucking with you. This is what this guy did. And we're like, you got to be kidding me. We came all, we could fish from the shore and hit the spot. Um, so it was, and he was so mean and so rude. And same thing with this other guy, just constantly making fun of us, uncomfortable conversations. So what I'm rolling up into this whole thing, and, and Mr. Jones, I know you've probably been on a few charters yourself. I, I yes. don't understand why fishing allows you to be the biggest fucking prick because it's so expensive anyway. And we're looking up to you to take us on an adventure, a good one, a fun one, very expensive. Most of the time you're in a shitty boat, possibly in shitty weather. You smell, you're hungry. You know, you're, you're going out there in the elements to try to have a good time. It's not like luxurious I don't know why you have to pile on all of that. Why do we pay for this kind of an experience? I don't know that I ever can again. I just don't know that I can. I think the only thing going forward is I have, I'll only pay you know, gas for friends with boats 
and enjoy the experience because it's got to be better. Because we we actually did catch fish. We caught you know six fish. Mr. Jones, you wouldn't believe it. We had nine trolling lines in the water. How we didn't tangle up? I have no. How do you not tangle that? I know that it's like unreal. A fucking nightmare. It's a, it's <laughs> unreal. I I counted. I was like nine. We're trolling nine lines. That's unreal. And again, we don't know how to fish like this way. And saltwater fishermen like us, we're like, okay, when you hook up on a fish, what's the first thing you do? Stop the boat, you reel up the other line so you don't mm-hmm. tangle. Never stops yeah. the boat. Just Never stops the boat. Just keeps running. And you gotta you gotta manage that fish into the middle, uh, away from the lines. That's the way you fish it. Would have been nice to have that tutorial. Since <laughs> I've never fished with nine fucking lines in the water. So uh I guess I guess where I'm really trying to get at here is if you are out there, if you're one of the bobs that happens to be a charter boat captain, there's more to the job than just going out and catching fish. You have to be in some way, shape, or form nice to the guests because a lot of times this is something they've been looking forward to for a long time. We talked about it earlier. We don't have a lot of time off. We don't have a lot of disposable income. And we pile it into this experience trying to feel like, you know, you know, I'm a man. I, I can catch fish. I can, I've made fire. I mean, we're trying to find, you know, some way to get back to nature, what some way, shape or form. So we can hold up a fish and be proud of it. All you do is kick us in the fucking nuts for six hours and take our money. It's I'm sick of it. I'm done. One star would not recommend. No, no. Yeah. I, I would only echo. Yeah. I, I normally do at least one to two charters a year. I haven't done one in quite some time since my son was born, but yeah, I, I remember I'll only echo one thing is like, I remember I was on a boat and, uh, my dad had like missed lunch. You know, it happens. Like you get, you get in the middle of like whatever you're doing, whether you're fishing on the deck or you were, you know, you were up all night and kind of stuff. So my dad missed lunch. And so the, the, the cook was a fucking prick. He, uh, he goes, you know, he's already served and already cleaned up lunch. And my dad comes out and asks him, he's like, Hey, can I just get, you know, a, you know, bacon sandwich or something like that? And my dad left the galley and he said, and the, the, the fucking guy's like, this fucking prick over here wants to get a sandwich right now. I've already fucking cleaned up. And I like, it always stuck with me. Like one, I didn't say anything. Cause I was just like, you know, I, I guess it, it, you're, you're like, you're in a position where you're like, well, he's still like, you know, a person on the boat, whatever it is, he's still pissed, you know, spitting my fucking food. You know, he's right. an officer on the boat. He's not just the fucking deckhand. He's actually the officer. I just, it always never really sat well. And I guess that's the thing. Like, they don't want to be there. And, and no. for whatever it's worth, they don't want to be there. And I think that's a, like, it, as we'll just take a step back and only echo a little bit. A lot of people in that industry, they don't want to be there. They're away from their families for so long. And, you know, the season's short and then it ends. And, you know they got to deal with all different people and they're not customer service people. They, they basically, you know, got into a career doing something that's hard work. And it's very difficult if you think about, it because it's all about like your fish basically biting and whatnot. Did you tip? What did you tip the guy at the end of the day? Did you tip Zero. Zero. So it's like for him, it's like, I mean, that definitely shows his service and anything else. I mean, it's kind of like, Hey, I hope the amount of money covered your fuel costs. And, I'm moving the oh, F on by, by, a, by a long shot. We, I mean, you we should math. have a good discussion on the concept of tipping. Cause that's a good one. Yeah. It's just, it, yeah. But I'll say this is, you know, when we came over, I won the jackpot. So like, obviously the jackpot is, I think I take about three quarters of it. I, oh no, sorry. I give away three quarters of it and I just take a quarter of it back to me. And it's just a boat we always fish on, but I, I understand what you're saying. Like it's very common and, to be honest, I, I think I every charter, it. every charter I've ever been on has probably actually had negative to positive. Like it's just, it's shit. It just is. What? It's a dream fucking job, right? Like this guy to you. owns his own. No, no. To this guy, he owned his own business. He is the captain. He went out and did the effort to get a captain's license. He got one. This is his business. He owns it. He, he sets his schedule. He takes things on and his office is his happy place or it should be fishing. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't understand yeah. how that 
translates into treating people like shit. I, I can't wrap my head around. Yeah. You I, know what? Talk to golf marshals, and they're the nicest people in the world. Why? Because they're sitting on a golf course. You know, every once in a while, they're like, hey, moving along, or can you pick it up? That's their job, and that sucks to tell people that, but we got to. Other yeah. than that, they're not fucking pricks because you're out there to have a good time. Yeah. The boat I usually fish on in is actually a good boat. I, I enjoy fishing on the boat. The the crew that I fish with normally, it's actually one. But I mean, God, we charter like nine charters with this boat. So I'm going to say like it benefits them to be nice to us. If you they consider know you. what yeah, nine charters is. Nine charters is like. Yeah, um, Leon, you were a tourist. Huge. You ain't coming back. You didn't care about you. Well, and on some level, what they're hoping that you are, which is unfair, by the way, but they're hoping that you're a good fisherman. Right? That's not fair. I mean, if you're a fantastic fisherman, a lot of times, what are you chartering for? Like, right? unless you're yeah. visiting, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, because you got to rent um, your own boat, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, I would take that fucking prick out on our boat in Dana, and I'd go fishing, and I'd be throwing, you know, lures on the patty and be like, what the fuck are you doing, piece of shit? Like, you don't know how to reel a fucking line? Like, no, that's basically how I was making us feel. Like, he's never fished that way. No. You know, this is a different way of fishing. So, I mean, I'm not lying. Like he was throwing some some insults left and right and left and right. Um, and uh, he's like, he, he, like one of our buddies reeling. He's like, see what he's doing here? Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> like it's just embarrassing him while you know while it's happening. I don't know. It's just fuck them. I just don't know that I I want to charter it. I don't know. I'd just rather go fishing with buddies. It's, to me, I'd rather do, light money on fire. Ponga fishing? Can we just do ponga fishing down in Mexico on on Cedros Island? Well, you know, what, one of the best parts of ponga fishing, and I, I'm glad you brought that up, is uh, I can't understand Spanish. So if they're <laughs> bitching at me, I, I don't know that they're saying it. So I'm cool with it, I guess. Like, he's catching me fish. He seems happy. Uh, he could be mumbling or just outright calling me every name in the book in Spanish yeah. name, but you're smiling that. and giving me thumbs up and I'm like yeah we, we like each other so this is yeah fun. but you know that I don't know I've all like I've only heard amazing things when you go out ponga fishing so different story different day oh yeah, yeah. well the art of soon. customer service is on life support Leon so good loathe yeah thanks fuck em. fuck them Which brings us to bottom of the bottle. This bitch is empty. Yeet! Newsflash, people. Vegetarians fart more than non-vegetarians. It is known. <laughs> One more reason not to like them. Uh, also, fun fact from the same source, the study of farts is called flatology. F-L-A-T-O-L-O-G. Why? Why? So because the study like of fart. farts is flatology and vegetarians fart more than non-vegetarians. I think it has something to do with the broccoli. And the cauliflower. Or the Brussels sprouts. Ooh. Or the bro oh, the Brussels sprouts. It's the best. Oh, or show. Know, I hated Brussels sprouts growing up. But the last the couple of years, no, because they tasted like fucking dirt. Like they were Iron no dirt. good. They're bitter. They made you fat. But now... You cook them. You even cook them in a little bacon fat, a little bacon there, whatever. Yeah, a little duck fat. I mean, yep. Mm -hmm. A little crispy on the edge. I mean, yeah. I, it, your tastes truly do change over time, and yep. it's delicious. Yep. And I feel sorry for my spouse or anyone else that's within thirty feet of me after it happens. That's our show. <laughs> Please don't end on that. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, good stuff. Now, with the, so with the story we didn't get to tonight, which we hopefully get to later, um, the Bob's wondering if we're doing running a short show tonight. There is, in the United Kingdom, there is a sex workers union. Legit National Labor Relations Board union. It's called United Sex Workers. If you that want to awesome. know more about it, I'm not going to post the link. You're just going to have to listen. So for those of you that sign up before the end of the show, you're asked out. Uh, UVW union.org.uk united sex workers and their tagline is sex work is work for too long strippers and sex workers have not had a seat at the table 
to discuss conditions in our industry. And so this stemmed from an article in The Economist that I was reading about Glasgow that had a quota for adult establishments. So topless clubs and other kinds of clubs had to get weeded out in order to meet this quota. And the United Sex Workers Union sent a delegate so that the strippers could discuss the issue with local municipal officials. Can't wait to hear this. So that, there that is, is and, and I laughed. I was like, so this is a union. It's like, yeah, this is a union. There is collective bargaining. There is sick pay. There is guaranteed basic wage, annual leave, basic rights, sex workers united. That's the shirt I want. I support them. Go for it. All right. That's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Give us a phone call, 602 529 4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, or Mr. Jones. We'll play it on the air. Give us ideas for content or a few anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, share with a friend. We're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel, bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>